The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Usok Wonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks man. How are you? Goodness, I'm good. Uh, I'm confused, conflicted. There's just so much going on. There is a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild. Uh, we're, we're at the end of day, well technically day two mm. of the World Cup, right? Yeah. Uh, we're recording this late on Monday, just after the USA's draw with Wales. Or the Wales's draw with US, Wales's, the Wales, Wales's draw with USA. A draw between Wales and the USA. Yes. Two days in and it feels like more things have happened in the first two days than in the first, what, two weeks of the last World Cup in terms of stuff. Maybe not, maybe not two weeks, but like certainly off the field stuff. Yeah. Yes. Well, today we're going to talk about the opening four games. There've been four, right? Yes, there have been four. But actually we're going to, we're going to keep it brief on England against Iran because you and I will be joining Ian on Wrighty's house on Tuesday. The privilege. So we're going to talk about the England in depth on Wrighty's house. Mm. And uh, that will go up Tuesday afternoon, UK time. So go and check that. If you haven't subscribed to Wrighty's house, go mm. and subscribe. Search for it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go and find Counterpressed. Flo Lloyd Hughes and Friends. That sounds First great. First episode went up today. Oh, such great chemistry in that podcast. Loving it. Shout out to Flo and the gang. Congrats on their first episode. Flo did an excellent essay for GQ, actually. Yes. About the armband controversy. We'll get into that later. But yeah, check that out. Flo is appearing everywhere at the moment. Anything you want to add on the admin? Um, I think we're good. Ringer.com forward slash soccer for football pieces from me um, on and during the tournament. Yes. But otherwise, nothing further, I think, on that front. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's take a break and then we'll get into a quick roundup of the games. Let's do it. After this. Hi, oh, man. Should we begin with the USA-Wales? Uh, yeah, we should. I suppose that's the headline game. That's the headline game. They won or draw. Um, we're going to keep the analysis of these games early on in the tournament pretty brief. Yeah. I was watching this with a Welshman, Jonathan mm. Fisher, who was not a happy bunny in the first half. No, he was not happy. He was a happier bunny in the second. Mm. There were so many tweets from various... American football people being like, hey, first half good, second half, also yes. good. 
They were extremely impressed from the first half of the US. They were good. Extremely impressive. The midfield unit, McKenney, Adams, and Yunus Musa, I just thought. They, you know, we've said this before, the underrated ability to get out of each other's way. Mm. And then just a really great blend of midfield talents. I love the way that Adams just ran that midfield and the way they were shifting the ball around. The technical level was off the scale. They were so good in terms of their chemistry. And Yunus Musa, a young player, but just so confident. Some of the pockets they were playing out of, like unbelievable, like playing sometimes one against two, no problem at all, looking for triangles, actually seeking the ball under pressure. Just really, really impressive stuff. And hammering the ball early into gaps and pressing with so much intensity. That's the one thing they actually did, I think, throughout the game, uh, regardless of them losing a bit of match control second half, was their intensity was so good, I thought. Really yeah, they seem to they seem to make the pitch really big as well. Like we we were texting about yeah. this, and just there was a there were a couple of times when the USA broke forward, and there just seemed to be the width. loads of space for them. They made it very very big. A lot of that's Tim Weir, the way he yes. was pulling wide so well, and his economy of touch. What I love is when a winger gets the ball wide and then moves it on quick. Didn't hold the play up at all. Really, really, I think phenomenal from him in that first half in particular. Well, let's talk about Tim Weir because he he. Uh, he scored the opener mm. and the USA's only goal with a finish, doing his dad proud. Yeah. Oh my goodness. This is the thing. So Pulisic, credit to him for a brilliant assist, got the ball in space um, just inside the final third, worked around and played a beautiful reverse pass. But the finish from Tim Weyer, like that is anyone that watched Vintage George, the outside of the right foot was just I mean, like- to be honest, I'm struggling to think of many people I know who have watched more Vintage George than- the person <laughs> I'm looking at on the screen right now. <laughs> it's one of the few times in football you actually see the dad suing the son for royalties. <laughs> <laughs> suing for copyright. <laughs> George Ware's taking son Timothy to court. <laughs> Timothy never got paid for the goal. He didn't clear the sample on the finish. <laughs> dad, can I use this? Oh, well, son, you didn't get the agreement. <laughs> Great finish from Tim Ware. And actually at that point when they took the lead, the US might have started dreaming a little bit because that goal was like the crescendo of all the first half attacking and they'd broken down Wales really, really well. And almost you felt like there was, an, you felt the US felt they were like in the ascendancy there, if that makes sense. But they couldn't maintain that altitude for some reason. Um, maybe just because it's hard to play at that intensity for, you know, 90 minutes. We're watching the Senegal-Netherlands game earlier on and we were right, thinking, yeah, yeah. we're saying that like Ali Rassise just would just be okay with a draw. Yeah, yeah. Actually. And I think in this group, I actually kind of disagree. I think that, that I think that an opening draw for these two, I think it benefits Wales a lot more than it benefits the US. Mm. Because what I think the US would have had this down as like, okay, get this first one done, mm. move on, probably maybe maybe lose to England, but we've got enough to beat Iran. I think that's how they would have looked at that on paper before. Because for example, with with Senegal, I think if they'd got a point early, earlier on against the Netherlands, they would still be looking to qualify from the group fairly comfortably. Right. I think the defeat changes that quite significantly, actually. It does, yeah, it does. Also, we saw two of those Righty's House Amnesty hot takes just be done with. Today. Yeah, that's true, it's true, it's true. Do you know what I'll say about Senegal, very quickly before we go up to the US? The absence of Sadio Mane, you can spot a team that has very, very, very recently lost the centrepiece of their attack because the way Senegal played today, everything was assembled and it was like the jewel got plucked out. You could see that because the build-up play, the compactness of the play, this was a team that hadn't yet divided up Sadio Mane's roles among the new the players and the rest. It's not a criticism, it's more like 
that is how bad it is when you lose someone on the, on the, on the eve of a tournament in a way that we've rarely seen before. And that's another story. But back to um, the US and Wales, what was so impressed by Wales was the way they just ground their way back into contention. Well, they made the, they made the USA pay for not getting that second. They compressed the gaps, man. They yeah. really closed the spaces. Second half, it was a completely different game. It was, it was. That's a gigantic cliche, but it was absolutely true. And what Wales did really well was they seemed like quicker to the US in the second half. Yes, like the, yes, the US, yes. What, the US didn't seem able to kind of put those little pa- phases of play together where they stretched Wales. The centre like circle was the contested a lot more in the second half. Yeah, and they, the they angles were closed off. just mm. gave the US a lot more to think about than I think they did in the first half. And I think they, they broke the game up a little bit, which I think they kind of needed to do. And the US lost a couple of players in terms of like their substitutions, like Weston McKenney went off. And I think that that hindered the US's fluidity a little bit. Yes. But then Wales, I just think, got to a point in the game where I think the penalty was, it was clear penalty. And, it yeah, was, yeah, and yeah, I actually yeah. think it was, it, they kind of deserved a bit of a break in the game. They no, I agree. Keefer Moore should have put him ahead before that anyway with that header. Yes. Um, it was a really good chance. It was actually super similar in terms of style to Cody Gakpo's goal. Yes. The, you know, when you yeah, get a nip yeah. just in front of the keeper. Loved it. We got a little bit too much on it. And then when the, when the goal went in, well, when the, when Bale scored the penalty, I said to Jonathan that, you know, they could really go on and win this. And it felt a little bit For like sure. that momentum had completely shifted. And probably if anyone was going to come away feeling slightly disappointed at the end of it, it was probably Wales. Because that that one yeah. chance at the end when Matt Turner comes out and then Bale gets fouled on the halfway line. Oh, that was a great, on, that's a like, great yellow card. That's yeah, a great a tactical foul. Card. Great yeah. tactical foul. You know, it's funny. There was a moment in the game that summed up Wales' second half when Bale gets dispossessed in the, almost in the final third and then chases back. Mm to dispossess the player that like tackles him. And I was like, that is, that has summed up this game in terms of Wales just dragging themselves back into it. And you know, when they got that goal from the penalty, it's, it's so funny because there's so many times that Gareth Bale has quite literally been put on the spot for this team. There's so many times when only Bale can deliver. And this is not to like disrespect other Wales players. It's not that, it's more like, it's just, there's been so many times in Wales recent history where he's been called upon to deliver like that. And he's never let them down. This is the thing, like he's never, ever let them down. It's an unbelievable, I was thinking actually as I was watching, getting quite romantic and going, oh my goodness, like if there was a kind of like, not a Mount Rushmore, but like a sort of like a, a hall of fame of like the greatest people from Wales that ever lived. Like Bale is like, I don't know if there's like a top 10 or a top whatever, but like he's definitely in that mix, right? He's definitely I mean, in that mix. Are we, are we, are we doing this now? No, we're, we're not, no but, just, but just like, just like cultural <laughs> figures, just like cultural figures. I mean, I, Anthony Hopkins has got to be top five, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know enough. I don't know enough for sort of, you know, Welsh culture the last five, <laughs> the, the last 500 years. They're like, you know. Listen, if you're going to go there. 500 years, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's I'm open, not Welsh. Open invita- neither am I. It's an open invitation. I'm just saying, send us your great Welsh cultural figures for the last 500 years. It's got to be in the, uh, it's got to be in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> That's safe. That's a safe take, isn't it? That's safe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anyway, it was a good point for Wales. Great point. I don't know. Like we saw in the Euros, England struggled against Scotland, and I think they might struggle against Wales mm. if Wales need, to, need something from that. But just because those are the kind of games that you can see England just slipping up in. You know, maybe England are already through at that point. Who mm. knows? We don't know. But um, yeah, the USA need to put in a performance on Friday. They really do, man. They really do. Um, should we talk about Senegal Netherlands quick yeah let's do it uh, until Netherlands scored I, I was really impressed with Senegal 
Actually. Me too. I thought and they looked really good. Even a bit after two, I mean, they just kept really, they, re- they really made them work for those goals. Like both goals were well constructed, actually. You might argue the second one parried clear, but even the angle that was struck up made it hard to put mm. that anywhere far of the goal. I just thought that they really made, um, sorry, I thought Senegal were so impressive because they really made the Netherlands work for those goals. They didn't yeah. give them to them. They crafted them. Um, Frankie de Jong, I mean, should have scored in the first half of the great chance. Should have scored. Right. There's a thing I realised today, actually, and I don't know why it's taken me so long to realise because I've, or maybe I just, maybe I only realised that I want to say on the podcast and I actually realised it ages ago. Hmm. But if you took all of the details out of a football game and just showed a silhouette, you could still, you'd still be able to tell that Frankie Dion was Frankie Dion. Oh, without question. Yeah. Like one of, he has one of the most recognisable playing styles yeah. in world football. I was, I was just watching it at one point and he was doing something, I can't remember what it was, but there was, there wasn't a lot of movement. He was knocking around in the middle of midfield and I was just like, yeah, no one looks like that. No one. He plays football in such a specifically yeah. unique way that I wonder actually, and we'll save this for another time because we're not in club mode at the moment, but I do wonder whether that's actually part of the reason why his Barcelona career has kind of maybe not flown the way that we thought it would recently. Well, he's basically like the new Thiago, isn't he? Yeah, maybe. If you think about like Thiago, I mean, Thiago came in and it was like, oh, he can't adjust to Busquets. He can't play with him. This is that. And then they, Thiago was like, I'm not going to get my run. I'm going to get moved on because I want to like be at the base of a midfield. So Thiago got that at Bayern. And Frankie de Jong's in a kind of a similar situation. Obviously he, he would run the show at Bayern quite. Actually, Frankie de Jong at Bayern is actually an incredible fit. Another yeah, we've sto- said that before. Yeah, another story. Yeah. yeah. But that's again, is, is, is because he's the Thiago player. Yeah. I just hope that he gets a run of form now. I mean, there's a great assist for the opening goal. And in a very, very tight game, what, four or five minutes from the end, and he popped up with that incredible pass, the bounce pass almost to Gakpo. So I hope that he kicks on this year. And the Netherlands navigating a really tough opponent. A really Van tough Gaal, opponent. I, I, Van Gaal's like, I don't know, man. Brilliant tournament coach. There was that bench where there was like blind Van Gaal, David, David sat next to each other. I was just like, what in the fuck? <laughs> Listen, Edgar Davids, if there's ever a man that's been better suited to wearing sunglasses 24 hours all year round. Show me them because I don't believe they exist. Ekodav is just the, that's a man that should wear sunglasses at all times, even inside at parties, winter or summer. Looked incredible. But just the energy on that bench and the smarts on that bench, like they can make a deep run, the Netherlands. They're, yeah, they're, so. they're really resilient. Actually, they're really resilient. I mean, I, I think that yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more convinced that they could do now that they've got past Senegal, who I know they were at without, you know, we talked about Sadio Mane, but mm. still just, there were, there were the first half of that game, I think that's how the Netherlands are going to play basically every game. Like you're not going to see much of them from the first half. And if you do, it's going to be a little bit of a, it's just an opportunity that presents itself. Big 2014 energy. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Shock absorbers. Shock absorbers. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, it feels a little bit last dancey for Van Gaal as well. Oh, for sure. In a way. So we're going to see him indulge himself fully. The press conferences <laughs> in particular. <laughs> Amazing. Um, early on in the day, we talk, we, England beat Iran 6-2. And mm. um, like we said, we're going to m- mention most, of, we're going to talk about most of that on Righty's house because uh, Ian is in Qatar, so we're going to talk to him about that. Mm. But some really impressive performances from England. I'm really happy for Bukayo Saka, obviously, because we all love Bukayo Saka, but I'm also super duper happy for Jude Bellingham. Yeah. I think it's going to be the first time that a lot of people on a global scale are going to watch him consecutively yeah. game after game. Yeah. And 
the thing that was so amazing about this performance today, I think Andy Brassel mentioned it on Twitter and I couldn't agree more, which was uh, people were raving about his performance against Iran. And it's not even close to some of his best performances that we've seen for Dortmund. Not close. Ryan, he's 19. He's 19 he's years 19. old. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even, it's, yeah. And the, the midfield configuration they chose, Mount, Rice, Bellingham, I'm like, wow, yes. Southgate mm. knows. Southgate knows. Yeah. This formation, a 4-3-3, you've got rid of the extra defender and you're playing with, it's guts to play like that. And I think that guts will reward them in the tournament. I think it was really impressive. Sterling looked really sharp. Um, and this is the thing for Iran, right? Like someone look at the score and you'd be like, this was a walkover. Actually, England still had to work for that. They had to find the gaps. They played really good yep. football. Each of the goals was constructed really well. And a, a huge shout out to Iran, actually. They're in a peculiar position, that national team, because I saw um, a post, uh, I think it was a fangirl Instagram. And it was basically from a, a woman from Iran and she was talking about the mixed feelings over the team, basically saying how some people see the team as representative of, of the regime because the regime actually is quite approving. And that's quite difficult because you mm -hmm. imagine because the players didn't sing the national anthem. So it's weird for them because they're like, they're seen in some way by some people as the face of the regime, but also a lot of them are taking risks in not complying with what it wants. Well, and I just yeah. thought what an awkward position to be in for a lot of them, if that makes sense. Um, and there's, look, there's always more like that footballers and protesters can do in that context. It's just that I had some sympathy for, how do I say this? I've got some sympathy for any team where the issues they're confronting are bigger than the ones on the field, like vastly bigger. I always have sympathy for that, I would say. I think the Iranian team are actually, we'll talk about this a little bit in, in the second half part of the show with regards to England's armband fiasco. Mm none of the Iranian players sang the anthem, which was apparently was a deliberate protest again. And there were numerous signs of, of protesting against the, what's going back home in, mm. in the crowds as well. Mm. This has very, very real or could have very, very real consequences for a number of these people. Yeah. Yeah. And put it this way, consequences that are far more grave than a booking. Yeah. I think that they're pushing back on that is, is to be applauded. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to talk much about Qatar against Ecuador? I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty easy uh, going for Ecuador. Uh, I just want to say a quick shout for, um, for Ecuador. Yeah. For Enna Valencia, of course, with two goals, and Estupinan, like, out wide, Caicedo through the middle. Like, just a beautifully coached team, knew exactly what they were doing, turned up, party poopers. You know, Ecuador, obviously, like, a level above Qatar. They came through a really tough qualifying uh, campaign uh, to be at this tournament. So they were in a different league to Qatar. Qatar also just looked overwhelmed. The goalkeeper mm. in particular, like I just felt a lot of sympathy in that particular because you know, the goalkeeper is the most isolated position on the pitch and that's where the pressure point really shows. And a couple of times, obviously coming early for the ball, I just thought this goalkeeper is better than he showed in the opening game. It's just that they've been building this, this game for months and they've almost in some ways overthought it because they were actually better in the second half. Mm. but they really overthought the first half and you could see the anxiety. Some of the crossfield passes weren't coming off and that you can see when a team is better than they're showing from the technique they have on the ball because when they settled into things in the second half, a lot of those players did a lot better, but by then it was done. And Ecuador, extremely impressive. And some of those players, not that it's all about that, but some of those players really put themselves, I think, in the shop window um, just on the basis of that performance in terms of how they took the sting out of the game in a really impressive way. So yeah, shout out to Ecuador. There was a weird thing going on with the 
um, attendances. Now, I was listening to <clears throat> a bit of Second Captains this morning mm-hmm. on my way down to the studio, and um, Ken was saying that like he literally saw streams of people going like leaving at half time. Wild, and um, you could see there were numerous journalists in the stadium taking pictures of the empty seats mm. that weren't being shown on on the TV mm. that, that much. And actually, we noticed it a couple of times today in yeah. some of the games as well that there were only maybe like if there was a corner that was looking back to the stand that the, the main TV camera was in. Mm. You could see loads of empty seats. And Nick Harris uh, at Sporting Intel on Twitter wrote a, wrote a tweet about three World Cup 2022 matches before USA-Wales. The official attendances have been 67,372 in a capacity, uh, in a stadium with a capacity of 60,000. Mm. 45,344 in a stadium with a capacity of 40,000. And forty one thousand seven hundred twenty one in a stadium holding forty thousand. I, I mean, what's going on there? I th- what I will um, say, what, is, what I will say for sure is that is so awful for the players. You're yeah. two goals down in a game you've been training three months for, and if you see a stream of retreating, retreating backs in your first game, what does that do for morale? Yeah, <laughs> like, what does great. that do for morale? Yeah, yeah. and they, to be fair, they held it together and they didn't concede again in the second half, but it can't have been easy. Because that's the most public undisapproval you can imagine. So I really felt for him. Yeah, I felt for them there. Just take a break. Let's do it. All right, man. So uh, a lot's happened since we last did a podcast. <laughs> a lot. Which was only a few days. Yeah. Um, Johnny Infantino had his, what Moose Kwonga has coined his, I have a feel speech. <laughs> um, Martin Luther Infantino. I mean... What a fucking ghoul. I'm sorry. A clown, like, a clown, a clown beyond measure. Like, I, I don't really want to go, a few days have gone past since this and I think that we'll reference this maybe properly when we do our big debrief at the end of the World Cup because I think we'll have to look back at this whole mm. thing and I think this will be a major part of it. One of the most bizarre and concerning speeches I think I've ever seen from a sporting executive. And re- like revealing, that. very revealing. Very revealing in the sense that He's not in control anymore. No. And FIFA aren't in control anymore. No, no, no. I don't think. They're not. Whatever has happened at the upper echelons of that organisation, whatever is going on, they've lost control of the World Cup and they had done a while ago, to be honest. Yes. There was the whole thing about the Budweiser not being, or them not being able to serve beer on the eve of the tournament that happened two days before. Now, to be honest, I think this is, in the grand scheme of things, this is super, super minus. Right. But it's more of the principle of Changing a $75 million deal. On the fly. On the fly, two days before with a sponsor, you know. The thing that we want to talk about is the armband situation mm. because seven countries were due to wear the armband, I believe. England were one of them. It was announced a while ago that England were going to wear these armbands. And I mean, let's get real. It was an extremely watered down, tepid, very, very, very corporate, diluted, sign of solidarity slash protest and that's being generous and it still wasn't remotely acceptable yes this is what is wild this is what is and actually i want to tie it back very quickly to Infidino's speech right mm. because a lot of people mock that speech and rightly so and here's the other thing two things can be true they, they mocked the speech and rightly so and also every single category where infantino said you know i feel gay, I feel disabled, I feel like a migrant worker. Each of those major categories, 
is someone of whom approval in his world is almost taboo. That was the scary thing about the speech. He was saying these things as if he was being incredibly brave because in the context of his bubble and the life, the world he lives in, it was brave. That is the scary thing. He was like, I'm going to, I'm reaping the whirlwind to mention the word gay here. Like for him to say that out loud, that is what kind of frightened me in a sense, because I was like, you are terrified of saying these words and you think by saying them that you're like changing the world because you've heard things behind closed doors that we haven't heard. You've debased yourself to get this work up over the line and now you've got it. And now I was actually chatting with Callum about this, Callum Jacob shout out to him at Caracom and about like, actually Infantino, this was a bit of a meltdown for him. This wasn't some finely calculated, calibrated thing. Like it's out of control. Like you say, he is not holding the strings for this tournament. And the thing that's scary for him, I think must be, you've had this, it's not just, it's not just one, it's the speech, it's the beer ban, and the armband all in what, like three days or four days? And the armband thing, just to get back to that, to circle back to that, the most watered down thing and still be unacceptable. Now, the England players and the team would be like, look, we don't want to start a game on a yellow card. And like, look, the logic of that, the sporting logic of that is impeccable. Why start a knockout game with your best player or your best player on a yellow card? The, not, the sporting logic is impeccable. But I think somewhere along the way, Something big has been lost, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I think that I don't even know, to be honest, I don't even know what to say mm. because it's kind of like the stakes were so fucking low. They were. And you could have done something genuinely meaningful, ironically, with a pretty fucking meaningless armband. Mm. Really, this kind of nondescript, deliberately designed to not be too, what's the word, like inflammatory, let's say. This is the thing. If you're going to get a yellow card for taking your shirt off, you might as well get it for running to the sidelines, putting an armband on and doing a celebration in that. You might as well get it for that, right? Like it just doesn't even, it's the fact that it didn't even, there was, the thing that gets me is there was not a universe in which a gesture like that was even remotely acceptable. Like it's really... Some people say I'm, I'm exaggerating and that's fine, but look, sport and like, you know, pop culture really does drive, these two things, they really do drive social, norm, social norms and the social norms we've seen driven, I've compared this World Cup to the first few days after the election of Trump, where so many chaotic things happened in such a short space that you lost track, like so many disruptive things have happened in the first three days of this World Cup and it set the tone for this tournament. Not just the, um, the armbands, but also the fan sites, the accommodation, like all of it, like from the very bottom to the top. They've had 10 years to plan this thing. What have they spent the money on? Like, no, no that's not, not what this is, sorry, correction. What is the concentration they spent the money on? And it's almost like the World Cup's been gentrified before our eyes. Like the very, very, very top have had the best treatment and everyone below a certain level has kind of received scraps basically considering that like in terms of you look at the fan zones what they're paying and what they're getting for the accommodation so look it's only three days in or two days in and i'm like i'm nervous man for where it goes next yeah me too i think this i think for me um it would have just been really fucking great to see a player be like do you know what just i don't actually care 
this is more important. This is bigger than me. This is bigger than us qualifying to the next stage. We're probably going to get through anyway. Mm. You know, yeah. Take the official armband that they brought forward that were these kind of, again, non, like, no discrimination. Well, yeah, cool. But like, you're playing in a tournament that has actively discriminated against people. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Either wear the armband or don't wear the armband, but don't talk about wearing the armband and then don't talk about why you weren't going to wear the armband, which you said you were going to wear, which didn't really mean a huge amount anyway. But actually, it came to this point where it became a much bigger gesture than it was ever going to be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Am I, am I, Looking at this, no, I just like, think I just think that the, the thing is, I think uh, it sounds awful to say it, but I'm so accustomed to. I don't expect more, and it's awful. I I wish I I wish I was angrier. I wish I hadn't dulled my expectation. I wish I hadn't. I saw this with Russia. I saw this with Russia, and I'm seeing it again now. It's the same thing. LGBT people in Russia, like and 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 in Qatar, it's the same energy. The same arguments are coming up, and I think there's an element where. I sort of dulled myself to the possibility of something better. And I sound, it sounds horrible to say this. When I saw this, I just thought, I'm not surprised. I don't expect better. And one thing I need to do is maybe be more like you and I should raise my expectation because actually by lowering them, it doesn't, yeah, but it doesn't allow them to get away with it. No, no, I, I like that you're yeah, so angry. You've been on the receiving end of this so much. I haven't. Do you know what I mean? Like I, and this is the thing that, I, that really fucking irks me is that the consequences for like a white male England captain are going to be fucking minuscule. Like, in what world do these... This is, And I think this is the thing that angered me, is that, like... I'm not sitting here saying, like, if I was in that position, I'd know exactly what I want to do, because mm. I'm, I'm not in that position. So I, I don't want to, like, just absolutely go after the England players here, but it's more the kind of, like, the concept of it all, right? In that you make this big noise about doing something mm. that isn't really a lot. Yeah. And then you buckle at doing that thing because the consequences of that action are not really a lot. Yeah. And then you come out afterwards and start talking about, hey, it was out of our hands. We couldn't do this. Mm. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Rob O'Hanrahan wrote a tweet saying, very difficult to come out in a sport where your teammates may not risk a yellow card to support you. And there was a load of talk about like, you know, the sanctions and the sporting sanctions. And we saw that we saw the, I'm not going to read out the statements from, from the England, from the FA and stuff as to why. Chris Williams wrote a, a thread about this saying FIFA backed down from a flashpoint with IFAB very quickly after they announced a booking may be given. Law 12 requires a booking for specific reasons. This was soon moved to law four point, to a law 4.5 disciplinary matter. You're, like you'll get the language here. You're getting into the minutiae of like laws and wordings and wordings being moved around. But this is something that I found really interesting is that he said one love was deliberately chosen for ambiguity. Is there an offensive symbol? The colouring of the heart was similar to, but not the same as the LGBTQ plus flag. It's been deliberately designed to avoid that law. You know, here's the thing. Like, the World Cup is going to pay a price in the long term for hunting people for their humanity. It's going to pay a long, uh, the long-term price, but in the short term, that's going to be queer people. And there's a lot of talk, you know, you've seen from people, um, queer Qataris, like, worried about the backlash of this tournament. Um, and I have a lot of sympathy for that. There's a lot of talk of like some of the protesting might create a backlash later. Here's the problem I would say with that. The international spotlight of a sporting tournament will always bring scrutiny like this. And the moment that Qatar agreed to host the World Cup, LGBT people from Qatar were in the crosshairs. It just was going to be this way. And I hate, it was the same with 
uh, tournament hosted AFCON, I was at Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, like it's the same thing, like wherever these things happen, right? Same in Russia, like the moment a tournament comes up, marginalized people in those countries will be in the crosshairs. They just will be and it's awful. And the fact that like FIFA's fumbled this, that the, the, country, the seven uh, nations are going to wear these armbands have fumbled it. Man, it's bleak. It's just bleak. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just saw a lot of people who felt they were already very, very down on this tournament and yeah. and they just got another kicking. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I see that, man. And to be honest, it, it's fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. And I know that there are, a load, there are a load of people who through this tournament just want to, they really want to focus on the football. They really want to try and enjoy the football. And I get that, to be honest, because mm. there's been so much stuff around it. But like, actually, this stuff is happening daily. And we've spoken to a few people who have been there a common thing that's coming back is this sense of that things are shifting, things are changing, mm. this sense of unease because of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're what, the end of the first full day of football and it has already felt extremely noisy and I think it's going to be very long and I'm a little bit nervous if I'm being honest about what, what we might see. Yeah, I'm concerned actually, I'm concerned. I've come to hoping that things will like settle down once more fans go home and there are just fewer chances for interactions like that with, with like with local authorities. I'm just, that's the level of, that's the base level of, of, um, of hope at that point. This World Cup has made me realise that we need to do more than ever. What's that? The Woke World Cup. <laughs> 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 oh, you're done. Do you know, don't even joke. I was thinking about merch. I was just like, we have to just like- Dude, I literally thought about some today as well. <laughs> Actually, I'll call you tomorrow. We can go through it. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Woke World Cup t-shirts. Woke World Cup. Um, <laughs> uh, I think we've rolled, we wrap there, huh? Let's do it. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, these will be more frequent, but they might be a little bit shorter. Yeah. These episodes through the World Cup. But um, anything else to add? No, uh, I feel like I feel like we should say something like poetic. You're you're a poet. <laughs> I've got a ghostwriter. <laughs> They're not my own words. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, just take care, everyone. Take take. Listen. Um, go easy on yourselves. I actually wrote an Instagram post. I don't. Didn't share on Twitter, but it was just about how I was feeling because mm. it was half an hour before the kickoff of the World Cup and I was dragging my heels. Normally, prior to a World Cup game, first game, everything's set up, maybe a viewing part, and I kind of watched it in quite a mournful state. And I think it because, I think that's because it, I just wanted to capture how I was feeling at the time. And I was just feeling a bit ill at ease going into it all. So I've not been that active on sort of socials really. But that's because I, wa- I want to kind of like leave space and respect that. I want to respect the fact that it feels uneasy. And also there's so much happening in terms of protests in Iran and Ukraine. I don't want to flood the timeline too much with football because it feels like a pivotal time for those people. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of sitting with it at the moment. I'm sitting with the unease of it all. I was on Blog on Friday. Andrew and I had a big talk about the World Cup stuff at the end as well. And one thing I said was that I would encourage people to have conversations, be honest and open with your friends or your family or whoever you enjoy football with, mm. but also give them space to actually feel how they feel about the tournament yeah because that's right that's right i think we all ha- we all come at football in very different ways and you know if you and i weren't working in football we may have approached this tournament differently we may not have watched Def- it at definitely, all definitely but because we are we've said before we're gonna talk about it all yeah, and, and that's right but some people don't want to do that and, yeah, and that's just completely be, fair. i don't know i think it's just you're a casual fan I think everyone should just try and leave each other a little bit more space I'm really encouraged I will say this at least in my sort of own group people I know I'm really encouraged at how people are engaging with the issues I've got to say I'm really whether they're not watching at all on principle or they are watching and engaging in certain ways I'm just I'm really encouraged by that I've got to say
Should roll. Let's do it. All right. Much love, everyone. Um, don't forget to check Wright's House on Tuesday. That'll be up in the afternoon on its own feed. Search for it for, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to check Flo's counter-pressed debut show. So good. Loving it. You want more Chaos Flow. And also, don't forget to check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, we are playing out on an absolute beaut. Banger. Uh, from the Patrick Cowley Vaults, one called Love and Passion. From the album Mailbox. M-A-L-E. <laughs> Good old Patrick Cowley. Shouts <laughs> to Dark Entries as well. Uh, sure you don't want to add anything we talk about what more can I add to that <laughs> <laughs> alright much love everyone we'll be back later in the week see you then <laughs> <laughs>